Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 340, and today we are talking about the best books of December 2021. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Well, I already know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm really quite under the weather today, so this might be a quick episode, but uh, we'll get through it. Talking about books makes me feel better. Yeah. So... You drew the short straw this month. You got the like one <laughs> week where there was new reading to be done. Yeah. So we're going to talk about just books coming out in December in general, because there are not nearly as many published in December as there are the other months. And so we picked a few. Mm-hmm. I don't, I honestly don't know why that is like, like, or not. I know why it is. It's not that I don't know why it is. That's not what I meant to say. I don't know how they decide what books are coming out in December. You know, because by all accounts, they get buried in like all the news Mm -hmm. and the holidays and everything, you know. And so I just wonder like, like how they pick release dates for things because, you know, there's like, like a fifth as many books published in December. That's that's my loose estimate, not based on any kind of facts. And, (laughs) and I wonder like why, you know, like some, you know, sometimes you even see authors being like, well. I got December, you know, and oh, it's no. just like, oh, because there are so many good books in December. Yeah, I feel like that, too, but especially if there's a fifth Tuesday in the month, there'll be like nothing, you know, yeah. published. But then there there are some like who yeah. and more on the first. Yeah, I don't know what math goes into like yeah. you get the first Tuesday in September and you get the yeah. last Tuesday in like, I don't know. Yeah. And as someone who has worked, you know, as a bookseller and, and worked in, in books for, you know, 15 years now, I can tell you that I, I think there's, and I, I'm not 100% sure in this math either, but to me, it seems like there's twice as many books coming out in December as there used to be. I mean, it used to just mm-hmm. be like nothing, you know, like good mm-hmm. luck to you if your book was in December because it was all like coffee table books and maybe a couple of novels, but probably not, you know, and now there's yeah. a lot of great books, but still not nearly as many. But we're going to talk about some of those awesome books coming up. Uh, I have a couple that are pretty, pretty dark. (laughs) Oh, good. I have, I have like all romance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, then. Before we get started, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. 
This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so, whew, all right, bear with me. I'm sorry. We're going to be okay. All right. So my first book for today is The Fortune Men by Nadifa Mohammed. This was a Booker Prize finalist. It is a gorgeous, just gut-wrenching novel because it is a fictionalized account of Muhammad Matan, who was the last man executed in Cardiff, and he was executed for a crime that he did not commit and was exonerated 40 years later, 40 years too late. And it takes place in Wales. It's in Cardiff's Tiger Bay in the 1950s, uh, which was largely populated with Somali and West Indian sailors. And Muhammad Matan was a young Somali sailor. He was married to a woman from Wales, and he had three children. But he got in a lot of trouble. He had a gambling issue and he was a petty thief. But when a shopkeeper, a woman, was murdered in Tiger Bay, um, he was accused of the crime. And he was, his mindset was that, you know, I did not commit this crime, so everything is going to be okay. Which is like, you know, reading this now, you know, in the 21st century and what we know about laws and racism and everything, you know, but he, he truly believed he was like, yeah, I have a gambling problem. And yeah, I've stolen things on occasion, but I'm not a murderer. I am a father and I am a good man. And this will be fine. It was like his mindset basically right up until the end, like that justice would prevail and the truth would prevail. And it did not. So, you know, it's a, it's a, whew, it's a hard book, but 
the writing is outstanding and it's just, you know, as sad as it is, it's, it's very compelling. And this man's, you know, faith in the face of injustice is just remarkable. It's a tale that will not leave you. It's called The Fortune Men, and it's by Nadifa Mohammed. And like I mentioned earlier, I am mostly romance this podcast, so you're just going to ricochet between extremes <laughs> listening to these picks. Uh, but to me, I associate December with cozy, comforting reading, so I wanted to go with romance. And the first one is Fools in Love, Fresh Twists on Romantic Tales, edited by Rebecca Potis and Ashley Herring-Blake. And each of these stories is inspired by a common romance trope, like enemies to lovers, the grumpy one and the soft one, fake dating, or secret royalty. This has some big name, excellent YA authors, this is a YA anthology, including Rebecca Barrow, Natasha Nyan, Melinda Lowe, Rebecca Kim Wells, and Julian Winters. And what I personally found delightful about this collection is that it's not advertised as an LGBTQ anthology, but if you read queer YA, you'll recognize those editors' names and a lot of the contributor names. And this isn't all LGBTQ stories, but there are more FF stories than anything else. And I think there are only two MF stories in here, unless you count an MMF triad. And there are so many books that claim to just be general romance anthologies and have no or only one queer story. So I love this reversal. These are all love stories of some kind, but they cover a range of genres, including fantasy and superhero stories. The first one, Silver and Gold by Natasha Nyan, may be my favorite. It's a second chance FF romance sent during a fantasy dog sledding competition, except that it's wolf sledding. Wolf sledding across treacherous terrain and interrupted by a sea monster. And then she gets snowed in together with the competition. Who can resist that? Most of the stories play with a few different tropes, despite being assigned to one. There's an MM superhero slash villain fake dating forbidden romance that's also childhood friends to lovers, for instance. And some of the other premises of the stories include an FF romance where the main character is too awkward to explain to her crush that she is not, in fact, her rideshare driver. So she just drives her to her location, which is very relatable. There's a summer camp where the fat femme main character cosplays as a fairy and falls for another fairy, and she's also cursed to tell only the truth. There's a cute MF fake dating at Passover story, a story where a girl goes back in time to kill the man who murdered her mother, and instead she meets the murderer's daughter and falls in love with her before getting yanked back to her time. There's a trans MM boy band romance. And finally, it's probably the end of the world with a comet on its way to Earth. So what else do you do but break into the zoo with your ex-girlfriend to pet the giraffes? This has all the fuzzy feelings I expect from romance stories, but with a sprinkling of drama and even some action. The variety in genres kept it feeling exciting, and I really liked the tropes format. In fact, I would definitely read anthologies based on just one of these tropes. Did I mention that I am obsessed with the snowed-in-together trope? So if you want a cozy romantic read this December, this is a perfect choice. And that's Fools in Love, edited by Rebecca Potis and Ashley Herring-Blake. I'm glad that you clarified the dogs fantasy dog sledding 
competition because <laughs> I was like, well, now I need to know, like, why it's a fantasy dog sledding. Like, do they talk? Do they drive cars? <laughs> like, are they, like, little Shriners with, like, little cars? Like, that would be fun, too. But That would wolves, be fun, too. That's cool. Right? That's cool. Speaking of Snowden, have you read Murder Most Actual by Alexis Hall yet? It's on my list. I'm so excited. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's the, the Snowden trope, but with murder. <laughs> yeah. It's good. I loved it. Perfect. So my next pick today is another hard-hitting novel. My next two are snowballs, snowballs, softballs, whatever those things are that you pitch really slow. <laughs> Both, I guess. Um, but this one is another hard-hitting novel. It's an excellent, uh, what I believe is a debut mystery. It is called They Can't Take Your Name by Robert Justice. And this one is, I didn't mean to pick them both this way, but it's another fictional, this one is a fictional story of a miscarriage of justice. Uh, It is about a man named Langston Brown. He has been convicted of a horrible crime, what they're calling the Mother's Day Massacre. Uh, And he has been wrongly accused, but, you know, due to, you know, systemic racism and failures of the justice system, he is convicted and sentenced to death. So... It's horrible, and his daughter is so upset. She's a student at Juilliard. She's studying music. She drops out of school to study law because she wants to clear her father's name. Like, she thinks that she can do it if she, you know, reads up on all the laws. But then, unfortunately, his execution date is moved up, and she discovers that she only has 30 days to clear his name. And so she asks for help from a club owner who has been reeling since the death of his wife, He and she team up together, but what they uncover, you know, is obviously going to be terrible and dangerous. It's excellent. Uh, Jamie is listening to this on audio, and I have heard a couple of other people say that it's really excellent on audio. Um, Someday I will listen to an audio book, but I can neither confirm nor deny that myself. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's less of the mystery, I think, and just the powerful story and the incredible writing in this novel. It makes you feel all the feels, you know, and it's also heartbreaking. I do want to give content warnings for racism, injustice, murder, and death of a loved one. It is They Can't Take Your Name by Robert Justice. These feel like really fitting picks with the recent Anthony Broadwater news. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So looks like they're, uh, I mean, I think those are going to be relevant regardless, obviously, but fitting we're talking about them now so again i i have no good uh transition to my <laughs> super light and fluffy pick. <laughs> but you know you need variety so my next pick is the love con by Cerecia glass Kenya is in the final stages of a reality TV cosplay competition. She's survived until the final two, and she needs this win because this is her last chance to make cosplay a career. She promised her parents that if she didn't win the competition, she'd get a practical job using her degree, never mind that she has no interest in it. But then it's announced that the final challenge is a couples competition, and each contestant is going to model with and get help from a partner. Panicking and frustrated by one of the judge's implications about her being single as a fat black woman, she lies on TV and says she has a boyfriend who will help her, Cameron. 
Cameron is her best friend and has been since high school. Her family practically adopted him because his home life wasn't stable, and they've been inseparable ever since. They both love anime, gaming, and cosplay, and she even helped him start his shop, which designs costumes and props. Cam is unfazed by watching this announcement on TV and easily agrees to being her fake boyfriend for the weeks until the show is over. Besides, of course, he'd be the one to help her since they already work together on similar projects. It's not just that Cam is unfalteringly supportive, though he is. He is also in love with Kenya and is determined that he can make this fake dating thing turn into the real deal. This is a very cute friends-to-lovers fake dating romance. In fact, they already seem like a couple before the fake dating. It's not just that they live together, work together, and are very supportive of each other. It's that they're pretty flirty already, and when the fake dating veneer goes on, it quickly get silly. Well, of course they have to share a bed to keep up appearances. The mutual pining is very obvious, but because Kenya turned him down in college, they're both shy about actually discussing it. There is some drama, though, especially in the latter half of the novel, so it alternates between fluff and angst, and they do go into microaggressions and the racism as well as fat phobia that she faces as a fat Black woman on TV. The cosplay also isn't just a backdrop to the fake dating story. Both characters are passionate about it, and we get descriptions of the designs and the huge amount of work that goes into it. Overall, this is a fun romance with a very supportive and caring relationship at the center of it with an interesting cosplay hook. And that's The Love Con by Cerecia Glass. That's high on my list to read. It's really cute. <laughs> I like con romance books that set at cons or just right? books set at cons in general mm-hmm. yeah there was a ryan lasala one that i really liked that i no longer remember if that was this year or last year it all just blurs mm-hmm. together yeah i actually uh the other day i was working in my office and a stack of books fell over and i was like okay of course <laughs> yeah but i mean well i mean like a long time ago i did a really big culling of my books and but then it just kind of creeps back up on you. And this is usually an indication. And so then like 15 minutes later, another stack was like, well, if that stack's going to do it, I'm going to do it. Oh, no. You know, so I took the rest of the day to like organize all the books in my office. There is like method to my madness, like upstairs, like I have all the books that I've read that I kept on one side and like all the books that I want to read on the other side. But then I ran out of space up there. So now in my office, it's like all the books that I've read and that I want to read. And (laughs) they were in alphabetical order, but then it gets out of control. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it's been so long since I've just sat and organized my books. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot I had that. Or, oh yeah, I forgot I read that. Yeah, You know, it's just, it's very cathartic. I highly recommend just taking Mm -hmm. some time and rearranging your books. You know, it just helps you like Mm -hmm. sit with your thoughts and, which can be scary sometimes, but if you're looking at books, it's okay. But I only found three duplicates. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is like That's a record. Good. <laughs> I have that with my Kindle. I opened it and was actually shocked at the books that were on there. I have no recollection of putting some of those titles on there. So it's like, oh, that's a fun surprise. I've got like queer Christmas romance ready to go. I was just looking for that. I don't know when they got there. (laughs) Maybe it's a Christmas miracle. Exactly. (laughs) So my next pick today is, well, my next two are both books that I feel like I should mention because people will love them. And... 
The first one is Oddball, a Sarah Scribbles collection by Sarah Anderson. I don't talk about comics very often on the show, but Sarah Scribbles is one of my favorite illustrators and a Book Riot favorite. She has a comic that she does, I think, on Instagram. It might be a website, but I know it's on Instagram, where she kind of has, like, this avatar of herself, this uh, short woman with huge eyes and a stripy sweater and long black hair, and she just, like, goes all wild and runs around and gets in these awkward situations and talks about being extra and loving books and things about different generations and cats. She loves her cat. She has a black cat. And uh, it's all, like, stuff that we can identify with. This is the fourth collection of Sarah Scribbles. She did have the book out last year, Fangs, which was the vampire werewolf romance that was super awesome. Um, And this new collection, there are a couple of comics that, like, touch on, you know, isolation and the pandemic and, you know, things like that. Um, But for the most part, they are hilarious. I mean, you just read them and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's me. I mean, she famously has that comic about the woman who is like, you know, when I shop for food, oh, I'm just going to get a couple of things, you know, when I shop for this. And then it's like when I'm in the bookstore and she's got sunglasses and a big fluffy coat on and she's just throwing dollar bills in the air. Like, we all identify with that. That's how I feel, too. It's just she's very, very funny. She also has a new Instagram account called club.cryptid, in which she does comics with, you know, cryptozoology creatures. So there's a Mothman and aliens and Bigfoot, and it's pretty great. It's as great as you would expect it to be. And also in color. Uh, Sarah Scribbles is mostly in black and white, but the Cryptid Club is in color. I know so many of you are big fans of Sarah's, and I needed to mention it because it's so awesome. That is Oddball. A Sarah Scribbles Collection by Sarah Anderson. She was at Book Riot Live, like the second Book Riot Live that we did of the two. Danica, were you? Oh. I cannot remember. Were you there? I was at the first one. Oh, uh, that, that's cool. I had to work the door for something else, so I did not get to see her. I was really oh. bummed out <laughs> because I, I'd hoped to, because I think they were doing like Pictionary with authors. So kind of oh, feels like awesome. cheating if you already draw for a living, but you know, <laughs> hey. True. All right, my next pick is my only non-romance on this list, and that's Crip Kinship, The Disability, Justice, and Arts Activism of Sins Invalid by Shada Kafai. So this is a history of Sins Invalid, which is a disability justice performance project founded in 2006 in San Francisco. It explains how they got started, but more than just recounting, it explores the ideas behind Sins Invalid and why it became such an important outlet for people. It discusses how the mainstream disability rights movement, as well as disability studies as an academic framework, center white disabled activists which is why Disability Justice was created. My first introduction to Disability Justice was reading Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasinha, which was one of the most powerful and thought-provoking books I've ever read. So when I saw that Arsenal Pulp Press had released another book on Disability Justice, I knew I had to read it. So disability justice is disability activism that centers queer and trans, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. It advocates for leadership from the most impacted, and it views ableism as being interconnected with other systems of oppression, including racism, capitalism, transphobia, anti-fatness, and more. 
It outlines a different way of organizing as well as different lenses to examine politics. Politics not as abstract, but as material conditions that are life or death to people right now, and that require support and accessibility. Crip Kinship invites readers to imagine what it would look like if we considered all people's needs and came up with the solution most accessible to all, knowing that some needs will conflict and that the process will be messy and need constant re-examining and adaption. This is part history, part manifesto, bringing in so many different voices. I especially liked a chapter that discussed how Sins Invalid reclaims beauty for disabled body minds, but it also gives space for other disability justice perspectives, and one that beauty is an unsalvageable concept based on restriction and oppression, and that it is more freeing to reclaim ugly as a concept. And it leaves space for both of those ideas. If all of these concepts and terms like body minds seems overwhelming, they are defined in endnotes in the book, which was very helpful. My only complaint was that I would have liked to see more about the people and relationships behind Sins Invalid. We see a few glimpses of conversations had at the beginning, but most of the focus is on the big picture. I would have liked some behind the scenes of what that messy process of disability justice looks like in practice with creating this organization and keeping it running all these years. I also wanted more description of the actual performances because what is included is incredible. But I now see that there are clips to watch for free and some documentaries for purchase on the website. So I am looking forward to watching those. And in fact, I am left with a long reading and watching and listening list of books, articles, podcasts, and videos that I noted that I wanted to follow up on. And those are just a few of the resources and references collected in this book. The references given are carefully selected, highlighting disabled, queer, trans, BIPOC voices, whether that's in their published books, personal interviews, blog posts, or other formats. This makes for a great jumping off point to follow up on those ideas. I highly, highly recommend this and CareWorks to anyone and everyone. It left me with a lot to think about, and I can't wait to learn more. And that's Crypt Kinship by Shada Kafai. Okay, before I talk about my last pick, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. 
So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, so I am talking about this last one, which is also a comic because it is one of my very favorite things on the whole planet, so it seems like a reissue was a good time to mention it. It is The Amazing Screw-On Head by Mike Mignola. Now, that name might sound familiar because Mignola is the creator of Hellboy, along with a lot of other comics uh, that's been around forever. The Amazing, the Amazing Screw-On Head was a single issue that he did a long time ago, and it is my favorite single issue of a comic, and it was later made into a TV pilot for the Sci-Fi Network uh, that did not get picked up. It uh, had voices from uh, Paul Giamatti, Molly Shannon, Patton Oswalt, and David Hyde Pierce, uh, so you can watch the pilot online or buy the DVD, and it is my favorite 22 minutes of television. It is just this very weird superhero story about the amazing Screw-On Head. He is a giant metal being whose head comes off, just like as advertised. And it takes place in the 1960s, and Abraham Lincoln asks the amazing Screw-On Head to stop Emperor Zombie from unleashing an ancient evil upon the planet. So it's like alternate history because it's steampunky and there are all these machines. There's flying blimps, like these Victorian blimps. There's vampires. Patience is a vampire. She was once the amazing screw on Head's love and Emperor Zombie stole her away and made her a vampire. And Emperor Zombie used to be amazing screw on Head's manservant, but he tasted a little too much of the forbidden evil and became a villain. Now the amazing screw-on head fights crime and lives with his manservant, Mr. Groin, and his pet dog, Mr. Dog, who is a dog that was once alive but is no longer, but is stuffed and can still somehow move around. It's so weird. I mean, it just appealed to me immediately uh, when I first learned about it. You know, it's just, it's so strange. Like, Emperor Zombies, um, henchmen are actually two old women and a monkey, uh, which is pretty funny. The monkey has a Tommy gun. And... It's just delightful. And so now they're reissuing it uh, all these years later. I think it's the 25th anniversary. And it has uh, 50 pages of additional material and some other comics that haven't been seen before. So I'm very, 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 very excited about that. Um, and like I said, you can watch the show if you Google it. It's so awesome. I just love the style of his illustrations. And it, I thought it translated really well. And I'm really bummed that it didn't turn into anything like on the Sci-Fi Network. I once met Paul Giamatti's aunt. She He voices the Amazing Screwing Head. And I once ran into her 
at something. Somehow she mentioned that she was Paul Giamatti's aunt. And I was like, oh, I, I have a tattoo of him, kind of. And she's like, what do you mean? And I showed her that I had an amazing screw-on head tattoo, because of course I do. And she's like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, well, it's this thing that he voiced. And she's like, I don't think so. And I was like, okay, but I promised that he did. <laughs> so I always say that I kind of have a tattoo of Paul Giamatti. But it's just weird. If you like weird, if you like funny, if you like, you know, irreverent, this is the comic for you. It is The Amazing Screw-On Head by Mike Mignola. That sounds like so much to put into a single issue. That's very interesting. It is. Yeah, it's true, though. But like, you know, you know, Desert Island things, I would take my single. I have like a first edition of, of the Amazing Screw Head comic because I love it so much. And it, and he never did it anymore. Like, I find that so interesting, you know, because as fans, mm-hmm. we're like, I want more of this, you know, like I want more seasons. I want more books. I want, you know, and he did one issue of this story. And now it has, like, this rabid following, you know, very small. But, you know, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's it was just so exciting to see that that it was out. Now I want to read it again, like after maybe I'll read it this afternoon when I put myself to bed after (laughs) we're done. I did. I did actually get the Saga Omnibus. So Mm. I might do that instead. It's like a thousand something pages. (laughs) Just a quick thousand pages. I'm all about the comics, though. And I'm super excited that Saga is coming back. I think it's January. So I didn't even remember about the omnibus until I read the ad spot for all the books last week or the week before. (laughs) So yay for all the books. And speaking of yay for all the books, uh, I do just want to say thank you to all the people that have been sharing their Spotify lists from the end of the year wrap up. How Spotify is like, (laughs) you listen to this podcast this many times and you, you know, and, um, so many people have been have been tagging us in, in this and saying, Aww. you know, like, oh, it was in my top five. You know, it was so great. So it's so nice to see. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to all of them. And now, Danica, what is your last book? Yes, this one I am really excited about. I think a lot of people are going to be very enthusiastic about this one. And it's If This Gets Out by Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich. This is a YA novel about a boy band told in two perspectives, and it's an MM romance. So Ruben and Zach are both members of Saturday, which is a hugely popular boy band. They are successful, popular, wealthy, and control very little about their own lives. Everything about their public-facing personas is crafted by the label, and they can't do anything that would conflict with their brand. So their bandmate Angel has to appear as the wholesome, cute one, even though he's actually a class clown, hard-partying type who is currently slipping into more and more dangerous behavior. Their other bandmate, John, is the sexy one, despite this seriously conflicting with his faith and what he's comfortable with. For Ruben, though, it means being closeted. He's been out as gay to his friends and family for years, and it's an open secret with the media, but he's not allowed to discuss it publicly. The label keeps promising it will happen soon, but Ruben's pretty sure they're going to keep putting it off forever. In their European tour, Angel's partying lands them all with even more restrictions, unable to even leave their hotel rooms, and the demanding schedule and lack of freedom has them all on edge. Luckily, Reuben and Zach have always been very close friends, and they can go to each other for support. Until one night, hanging out with each other in their hotel room turns into something more, though Zach was sure he was straight. Cue the miscommunication, angst, secrecy, and drama as the media decides that they hate each other and that the band is falling apart. 
I thought this was a fascinating look at what it must be like inside of a band like this, where these teenagers are simultaneously much more powerful and have less agency than the average teen. It looks at how fandom and being famous is a double-edged sword. Most of the time, the band feels love and support from their fans, but those fans can also be dangerous, both for their mental health and their physical safety. They can be swarmed in crowds, including being touched by strangers, and they know they can very easily be injured in these situations. Ruben especially also feels guilt and anger about not being able to communicate the truth of who they are to their fans that love them. I appreciate that although this is a romance, it's not just about their relationship. We see glimpses of Angel's and John's struggles. John's dad is their manager, and he often feels like the money comes before that family relationship. Zach and Ruben also come from very different families. Ruben was brought up with music, especially musicals, and has been training since he was a small child. His mother is controlling and critical, forwarding along every negative piece of press about him and calling just to tear apart any perceived mistake in his performances. He isn't sure how to best navigate their relationship, craving those rare moments of support and love. Zach, on the other hand, has a very loving mother and comes from a working-class background, never getting used to their new wealth. Despite her support, he is nervous about discussing his possible bisexuality with her. The romance itself is angsty, and be prepared to read about internalized homophobia and biphobia, as well as homophobia from the industry. Also, so much miscommunication, which feels very realistic for their situation, but I did want to shake them at some points. I can imagine that a certain subsection of One Direction or a similar boy band fans will be obsessed with this book. I listened to the audiobook and it was really well done. Although this is co-written by two authors, it flows really well and I definitely forgot it wasn't just one author writing the whole book. If you want an MM boy band romance with a bit of angst and a lot of rage against homophobic record labels, definitely pick this one up. And that's If This Gets Out by Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich. We've been watching the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary that just came out. Have oh, you yeah. heard of this? Get back. And I've heard of it. You forget how young they are. Like, you know, speaking yeah. of like boy bands, you know, like their fame is so big and they're, you know, this documentary is about like the last time they got together and recorded something and, and it's 1969 and they're like, you know, 27, 28, 29, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you forget that because they're everywhere and they were so huge. But, like, in watching this, I'm like, they're just little kittens, you know? It's like, a, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like think about all that they had done. And it's just mm-hmm. amazing. Just absolutely astounding um, and very interesting. Yeah. I have, you know, complicated feelings about the Beatles. But, you know, as a documentary, it was very interesting to watch. So those are our picks for our favorites of December uh, I do want to also mention there was another book that I love today uh, that the title is going to escape me. Oh, Tell Me How to Be by Neil Patel. It is one of the sponsors of the show, so I could not uh, recommend it as such, but I just want to point it out because it is really awesome. So definitely check that one out, too. Um, and so, okay, now, what are you going to read next? I'm going to read a Yuri manga called Even Though We're Adults, Volume 3 by Takako Shimura. Uh, which is a kind of angsty FF romance, and one of them is a married woman, and it's it's complicated, and I am very invested at this point. 
What are you going to read next? I'm going to read Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumfit. It's a horror novel that comes out uh, from Tor Nightfire later this year, I believe. I heard about it, and it has a blurb from Julia Armfield, who wrote Our Wives Under the Sea, which I'm calling my favorite novel of 2022. comes out in July. It's amazing. Um, so I was like, must read this. And the back of the book says, a dark, unflinching haunted house novel that takes readers from the well of the literary gothic up through Brighton's queer scene and out into the heart of modern-day trans experience. That looks so and, good. And, yeah, as soon as Tor Fire mentioned it, I have... Uh, a friend who lives in England, and I was like, send it to me, send it to me, send it to me, send it to me, because <laughs> I'm an impatient monster. Um, so I'm going to check that out next. Very excited. And that is it for today. I did not expire. That's exciting. Uh, thank right. you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at lesbrary, L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading!